This episode of Meeting in Middle America with Stephen Olakara is brought to you by UW-Milwaukee, Waggett, and Bridge and Build. And now, here's your host, founder and CEO of the Millennial Action Project, Stephen Olakara. Welcome back to Meeting in Middle America. So happy you're with us and hope you're staying safe at home. We have a real treat today because on the show, we have Katie Fahey from Michigan. She, a couple of years ago, started an unprecedented movement off of a Facebook post called Voters Not Politicians. They united left and right together to end partisan gerrymandering in Michigan, and they got it done. The story is so extraordinary that she's now the subject of a new documentary film out available now called Slay the Dragon. And she's also the executive director of a great organization called The People. So I speak with her about how she built this movement, what we can learn from her journey, and how we can all create change in our communities. Hope you enjoy the show. Well, we have my wonderful friend and an incredible activist, Katie Fahey, joining us on the show. Katie, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, Katie is the leader of the movement Voters Not Politicians, which led to successfully ending partisan gerrymandering in the state of Michigan and amending the state constitution. More recently, she has started and now leads the group The People, which is all about getting people involved politically and civically. And she's also the subject of a new documentary, Slay the Dragon. Now, Katie, where the documentary really focuses in on and, and what launched this whole movement was a Facebook post that you wrote. What was this Facebook post that became so consequential for people and, and what led to it? <laughs> yes, it was the Facebook post. And it was definitely a Facebook post I made not thinking it would lead to amending a constitution or any kind of political movement. Um, just that I made in a, in a time of, of wanting to really do something. Um, and so it said, something to the effect of, hey, I want to take on gerrymandering in Michigan. If you want to help, let me know. Smiley face. Uh, and then it got shared from there. Now, jumping into the politics of this movement in Michigan, you've mentioned to me before how some of your family members, some of your friends who were Trump supporters became enthusiastic advocates for gerrymandering reform. So, Say a little bit more about that. Like, why did they get involved other than their personal relationship to you? And what, how are they framing the issue? Yeah. And for me personally, it was never a Democrat versus Republican issue. It was much more a fairness and voter issue. How do we put voters first? How do we have elections that can provide, uh, rebuild trust with people too, I saw a lot of my friends and family, again, the ones who normally wouldn't vote, but now kind of were. I mean, one of their other issues is that they felt like they had been told a lot of things by the government, yet the government acted a completely different way. And I think gerrymandering is one of those key issues where, you know, we have this premise that we vote in an election and our votes will matter and that the majority will of the vote will help elect people. And when you actually dig into it and you see just how much time and effort is put into trying to calculate every single possible combination of communities to disenfranchise some voters and to help elevate other voters, it it isn't a good process. It isn't fair. It doesn't 
really leave the power in the people's hands. It's leaving it in political consultants and political parties' hands, trying to manipulate how our voices can be heard. And so I think for me, that was really the root of it was if we're going to rebuild trust, we actually have to create a system that is deserving of trust. And this one isn't. It has the worst conflicts of interest where politicians running for office are actually choosing their own voters for the race they are about to run in. And so from even that initial Facebook post, we, we immediately made a Facebook group and the one of the, there were three rules for joining. And the first one was you were representing yourself and nobody else. And the second one was that you were going to be fighting for a solution that didn't advantage or disadvantage any Michigan voter based on who they vote for, or what political party they vote for. And, and that right away, I think was just different, especially around the election. Everything was so Democrat versus Republican, Hillary versus uh, Trump, that I think so many people were hungry for a way to still talk about the things that they care about. Because a lot of people were concerned, but not everybody likes the us versus them narrative or story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's who we really tapped into. Even when I was uh, hearing from my friends and family, um, especially the ones who were getting really excited about Trump, the fact that why they liked him is they felt like they would actually get more accountability in government, that the swamp would be drained, that um, it, even the policies, why they liked certain ones of his policies and why other people even liked Hillary Clinton's policies better or Bernie Sanders, not every policy had a lot in common, but actually there were several that were pretty close. And those fundamental rights, going back to fairness and how do you make sure that uh, people are treated equally, like like those I just heard throughout all of those conversations. And so over the next couple of months, as we started talking about it and talking about the process, it became very clear that voters across the state, including my own family members and friends, everybody really believes in the concept that voters should choose their politicians and politicians should not be choosing who their voters are. And that was just a basic, you know, black and white issue, even if maybe one political party, the actual members of that political party voted or wanted to keep the status quo, the actual voters who consistently vote for that party didn't feel that way. They very much wanted a system where politicians were accountable to them um, and where they got to make the decisions, not not the people in office. Now, one of the things the documentary highlights is how new you were at the time to politics. And all of a sudden, you're in the middle of not only organizing this movement, but also drafting, you know, constitutional language that ultimately got adopted. How did you come up with that? And how did you kind of work with experts and ultimately build a team to be crafting this sometimes very complicated language about, you know, about, about drawing districts. I think one of the most helpful things was that I knew that I didn't know anything. So going in, not assuming that I know best or that I know how the process is supposed to work was really good because then we knew we had to answer all of those questions. I was very unafraid to make sure that we were. I did know just from paying attention to local politics in Michigan um, and, and being a voter who votes on different amendments that have been brought up in the past, that Michigan had the constitutional amendment process. Not every state has that, but in Michigan, we are granted the power as citizens that when an issue 
comes up that our legislature isn't dealing with. And gerrymandering is a prime example of that, where it doesn't really benefit either party to give themselves less power over choosing who their voters are. They don't have a lot of incentives. In our constitution, there's a, there's a clause that says, you know, if citizens want to write constitutional language, they have to gather a bunch of signatures. It's a certain percentage of how many voters turned out in the last gubernatorial election. And then that question can go in front of all of the voters in Michigan for them to decide if they want to adopt that into the constitution or not. So what was, so from the beginning, I think I knew being a citizen in Michigan, I had that right. And I was really grateful that our constitution offered us that opportunity. And then seeing through the Facebook post that there were so many other people who really wanted this and who were really disappointed by action not happening on this consistently, I think that's what really made us know that this process was put in our constitution with a reason. And that reason being that citizens, when the time calls for it, can and should use this responsibility really wisely to fix things. And so, and then we started meeting with a bunch of other groups who there were a lot of groups, uh, especially nonprofits, good governance groups that on their website um, and through their actions had been fighting to end or at least raise awareness about gerrymandering in Michigan for a long time. And so we connected with them and kind of heard about their stories on what had worked and what hadn't worked. And the other thing too is in 2016, Illinois, and then I th one of the Dakotas, I think North Dakota, both had ballot initiatives um, for getting rid of gerrymandering that both failed uh, for different reasons, but we saw that they had been campaigns. So we called those campaigns and we just kind of talked to them about what was it like to try and do something as audacious as amend your constitution to make redistricting fair. Um, and they gave us a lot of great insights. Uh, and we mapped out kind of what are the different traditional hurdles? What are the things that we had to do? We definitely looked at the law and saw all of the requirements um, in Michigan, especially for like what your petition looks like. I mean, there's been petitions that even though they gathered hundreds of thousands of signatures have gotten thrown out because their font was the wrong size on the petition. So therefore all of the is thrown out. And, and like those kinds of things were terrifying for us to find out. But so the other thing that we started doing was we had all of these people from different walks of life. Almost nobody had ever really done anything in politics before. Again, I think we were kind of appealing to those people who aren't really into the left versus right argument, but still pay attention and still are consistent voters. And what I started seeing is we had some amazing volunteers. We had a woman who had ran the Renaissance Festival in Michigan for 10 years. We had a person who was a former CFO of Ford Motor Company. Um, we had a you know, person who was um, leading marketing for a giant nonprofit uh, in Michigan. And so seeing all of those different skills, although I knew that none of them had direct political experience, you know, I thought, well, you know, for the Renaissance person, you probably have to be able to raise money for, for something that's a little different, a Renaissance Festival. So maybe, I wonder if she can help us with fundraising. And you know, I wonder if our marketing person can help build a website. And I wonder if the CFO can help us build a financial plan. And by taking those like day-to-day -day other skills that people had and plugging them into the things we needed to do, that's how we were really able to still provide a really quality campaign. But we also didn't know what we didn't know. So we didn't know like the way things were traditionally done. And I think that worked out to our advantage in a lot of ways. We did things how business does them or other ways that political campaigns don't. And that what kind of that's what kind of stuck out to people. Like I quickly learned that for fundraising emails, normally you have to find 
who your opponent is and you just talk about them in every single email and that's how you raise the most money which to me i was like wait we're all about not not demonizing any voter any political party we really just want to fight for fairness so we never had our emails really focused on opposition and we had an amazingly successful grassroots campaign instead we focused on what exactly are we spending the money on what do we need it by when adding transparency to the whys of needing money for a campaign, like printing petitions was costing $40,000, getting a legal team on board, we needed a $100,000 retainer. So adding that and then also saying, hey, there's X number of us, you know, there's 5,000 of us. So if each of us find five friends, give $10, here's what that means related to these numbers. It worked wonderfully. We ended up having over 16,000 individual donors, which was over 33 times more than any other ballot initiative in the state. They normally don't get grassroots donors, normally just one or two really large donors. Um, and that's how I think we started pulling it together. There were great organizations too who had done work in other states around redistricting Common Cause out of California. They had to do a ballot initiative, I think, four different times before they could actually pass something. And they were amazingly helpful. And then the Brennan Center has studied this, the the outcomes of independent commissions uh, in the states that have passed them over the couple of previous decades. And so they came in as a completely kind of non-partisan group, but just letting us know the consequences in the different ways that we could create a solution. So in redistricting, you have a lot of criteria for how you can draw the lines. Everybody knows you don't want politicians drawing the lines, but there's, there's a lot more to it. You want the lines drawn based on shared interests. You want the lines drawn based on competitiveness. And so they came in and just helped facilitate a process where they could talk us through what the political science data showed and how these laws are written and then what the outcomes are and whether that gets people responsive. And and so by doing that in kind of like a crowdsourcing millennial way and plugging in people where they really had expertise, that's how we continued to grow. And I would just also say that we really operated in a way that that brought people to the table and that was really transparent and honest when we didn't know the answer we weren't afraid to say that we weren't afraid to say we've got to figure out how to raise millions of dollars in order to you know even one tv commercial was like a million dollars a week as i'm listening to you katie i'm just thinking about how many people you educated and mobilized through this process but also when you think about yourself personally was there a thing that really set you off on this journey was there a an article you read, a speech that someone gave, a documentary that you saw? Was there one particular thing that really like kind of set you off on this on this path? I don't think there was one moment besides just I mean, Flint, even though it wasn't directly like the main news story was not that it was related to gerrymandering at all. But I do think going to my day job, which I loved at the time, but had nothing to do with helping make sure the people of Flint had clean water or that we'd be preventing a future Flint water crisis. I think going to work every day and just knowing that our government was, once the Flint water crisis happened, people were basically just pointing fingers. Nobody was taking accountability. And I just kept thinking like, how do I live in 2016 at the time, 2015 too is when Flint was happening. Like, how do I live in America at this time? And this is okay. That we can have, so failed other people in our state and nobody is doing anything about it. And I just can't keep going to work every single day feeling okay, knowing there are children poisoned and still going to a school where they can't use a drinking fountain and we are doing nothing about it. 
Um, I will give a lot of props to the local media that covers politics in Michigan. There were stories about why why decisions were being made that weren't in line with the voters. And consistently, you did hear about gerrymandering. You heard about like, oh, you wondering why the legislature was able to pass this bill, even though the citizens just voted over 70% to get rid of it because of gerrymandering. And uh, one of the reporters, his name is Jack Lessonberry, he had more of like an op-ed type of radio show, but he also had highlighted a couple of times over the years uh, that we had the citizen ballot initiative process. And that like really to fix issues that are systemic, that using the citizen ballot initiative process until that happens, these probably aren't going to be fixed. There's no real viable path to the legislature compromising on a bill that gives themselves less power for these issues or, or disadvantages or gives the party less power. Um, and I think that, that probably had it in the back of my mind, too. You mentioned your background in a completely different space, working in the sustainability space. And let's talk a bit about your, your upbringing. You grew up in Michigan, correct? Were you in a political household and what got you interested in uh, sustainability issues? Yeah, I wasn't really in a political household. Um, I, I knew how my parents and family voted, but we never really talked about it. We are very, I like to call it Midwest nice. Like, like it was just something you didn't really talk about. Um, I know not every family is like that, but ours definitely was. But my dad was a he was a veteran and he worked for the Veterans Administration in Detroit. He um, set up some of the first homeless programs for vets in Detroit. We did a lot of, um, we, I, I was raised Catholic and we did a lot of giving back consistently. We were, we were always, um, either helping with different homeless programs or soup kitchens during Thanksgiving, uh, as a family volunteering or being a part of a community in a way that, that is in service was really important and, and definitely a part of it. And I think the veteran angle, my dad is a disabled American veteran and they have a um, pretty robust program for like family members too. And I think patriotism and what that was was also just a, an element of life. Like like that's part of being American, civic duty, um, being a sense of a community, giving back. It, it was all definitely part of it. I think the sustainability part, which was really, how do you take environmental and social oriented best practices and help make that into a, a business plan too, that can help make your business more sustainable, but is also giving back to the earth and to people. Um, I think that was just part of an interest in high school. I started a recycling club because we didn't have one. And then when I was checking out colleges, they said that it was a major that maybe intersected. And I think looking at things from a systems approach is just kind of how my brain worked. Um, wanting to know the why and the causes of um, why something was happening and realizing that there's interconnectedness, which probably does stem from like a faith uh, upbringing too of, of, you know, do unto yourself uh, or do unto your neighbors as you would unto yourself, that golden rule and kind of the thinking about like, you know, you change the world through your family and who you interact with and how that leads to more change and how we're all globally connected. I, I think that was probably a part of it. And then really thinking about, well, what way can I use the the gifts and privilege I've been born with to be able to do something about the inequities that I see in the world was part of how I viewed the world from a pretty young age. That makes sense. Now, 
as you mentioned earlier, 2020 is such an important year for redistricting for the next decade. And as you look out to other states, and, and you're doing this uh, a lot with your, your new organization, The People, um, you, you know, you're trying to help people get engaged and, and try and, and feel like they have a voice in the process. Uh, and we're going to see which states decide to enact a more fair process of re- redistricting. A lot of people listening to this podcast are, are based in Wisconsin, and some of them might be saying, well, we, we don't have the same process that you had in Michigan. Um, you can't do a ballot referendum in the same way. So as you've been traveling around the country, and I know you've made some stops in Wisconsin as well, what would be your advice to citizens, leaders on the ground in a state like Wisconsin who wants to be part of the solution but knows their strategy might need to be a little different? Yeah, well, I think a big part with gerrymandering and why even a lot of people don't necessarily know about it is that the people in charge don't want other people knowing about it. And really up until 2010 with how advanced our computer technology and our ability to um, create scenarios for uh, based on all the data that is available on individual voters. So being able to create scenarios on how populations might shift over the next 10 years up until that point. Um, gerrymandering had been done, but not to such a sophisticated level. And so people weren't paying attention to it as much. So even how many people know what gerrymandering or redistricting is over the last 10 years has significantly increased. You know, there's been pop culture references, late night television shows have started to talk about it. Um, there's this great Play the Dragon documentary. Arnold Schwarzenegger has a big terminate gerrymandering campaign. Um, so I would say that don't underestimate the power that actually paying attention and having knowledge about this issue, how much power that can hold. When drawing the lines in states that maybe don't have a referendum process, the legislature has to uh, almost always have some kind of committee hearing on it. And committee hearings usually can have public testimony in them submitted either online or in person. Um, They, I mean, To be fair, they're often shells a little bit. There's a lot of activity that happens outside of those committees. But showing up and saying that you're watching, showing up and saying, hey, here's how my district looks right now and here's why it doesn't make sense. Even if you just look at a map of your own district and you kind of look at the cities and where they line up. I know for me, I I already had known about gerrymandering, but once I did that, I was like, oh my gosh, it makes no sense. So being able to go to those committee hearings and say that and to say you're paying attention um, as candidates are running for office, asking them their opinion on these issues. What is your stance on partisan gerrymandering? What do you plan to do to try and make the process fair? What do you try to do to make sure voters' voices will be more important than uh, you know protecting incumbents? Um, that stuff does matter. And, and if nobody says anything, if nobody shows up, then I think politics people who are in office feel more empowered to just do what they want to do. Um, The transparency part of it is big. Uh, Once the lines are drawn, lawsuits are one of those ways where um, there was a federal court uh, decision that came out of actually the Wisconsin case for gerrymandering um, that basically said that this issue needs to be handled at the local state level. And so that provides a pathway where you could go to your state Supreme Court and say, I think these lines were drawn to purposely discriminate against either Democrat voters or Republican voters. There's lots of organizations that can help bring a lawsuit to you if they want to hear from the people on the ground. 
other thing I would say too is the census is hugely important. Every single household in America needs to be counted. Not only does it help provide funding for your local city and for your state, but also if entire communities aren't counted, then when drawing these lines, they are also ignored um, and they're never part of the equation to begin with. And, um, and so making sure that, that no those numbers are accurate is really, really important. And there's lots of great tools out there too that can help people either draw maps or think about your community and what might make really good testimony for going and, and talking about this issue. But I think one of the biggest things is just knowing about it isn't enough you have to show up and you have to actually demand accountability from um, our elected officials. Well said. Now, when you look at the 2020 landscape, are there any states that you think are on the verge of passing gerrymandering re reform that we should be paying attention to? So Virginia has, ha will have it on the ballot for their voters to vote on, to have, um, They'll be creating a commission where citizens and politicians will be on the commission, and then they have some criteria, too, to make it so that the lines are being drawn based on communities and not on political parties, which is pretty exciting. I know that uh, Arkansas is trying to qualify for the ballot to make sure that they could have an independent commission. Illinois has a deadline that's quickly approaching where they're trying to get um, something passed. Uh, there's been other efforts. Um, at the state level in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of action. Um, Oklahoma had a ballot initiative process. I believe it's on hold now, but I think there's still a lot of momentum for making sure voices are heard. Uh, in Wisconsin, I'm not sure with all the COVID things what an update is, but I know that the governor had been talking about potentially holding a uh, an independent commission that although they couldn't draw the lines, could at least still get input from the public to make sure that those maps are considered by the legislature. I think that's really important. Um, yeah, and there's uh, action in Nevada, uh, Oregon, Alaska. There's there's a lot going on. So I would say any state, um, people should try and check out what what pay attention to. I know that with the film Slay the Dragon, um, it's uh, participant.com slash Slay the Dragon. They actually have an interactive map where you can go to your state and it will tell you kind of the state of gerrymandering and how you can get connected. That's great. Now, uh, when people decide to get involved in politics, whether you're working on an issue like gerrymandering or climate change or immigration reform, it can feel so hard at times because it's a long and, and sometimes messy process. And so I'm curious in your incredible journey, Katie, uh, in Michigan, when did you think or when did you know you would be successful? Was it when the vote finally came in and you saw the results? Or did you have the sense leading up to it that, okay, this thing might actually work? And, and is there anything you can take away from that and, and share with other activists who are trying to do similar things in their states? I do think even from the beginning as like, maybe silly or naive as it sounds, seeing how many people were willing to basically meet up in a Facebook group with complete strangers, none of us knew each other, and start researching and like really putting a lot of long hours into figuring out how do we amend the state constitution and create a fair system. Just seeing that and the fact that people were showing up and putting a, enough trust in each other, kind of from the beginning made me feel like this is something special. This is This is really us tapping into how a lot of people feel. One of the other things that we did, though, too, that I think was really, really important 
is we really tried to run our campaign in a way that mimicked the values we were fighting for. So we were fighting for a democratic process. So decision-making processes within the campaign, we wanted to have be reflective also of democratic process. We were fighting for a transparent process where people would be able to see why decisions are being made and how, and they'd also have input on that. So we were really focused on that. We were fighting for a process that would not exclude any community in Michigan. And so one of the things that we did in the very beginning, we were we had divided up into committees and one of the committees was the policy committee and their job was to help create basically this outline and ultimately create our constitutional language. And we'd been doing a bunch of research um, on other states, what worked, we'd done a bunch of research on what had been proposed in Michigan before, but there was always something about it that in my mind felt a little off because although our intentions were good, in gerrymandering, you often talk about how so many of these decisions are made behind closed doors by a very small group of people, even though they will impact the next decade worth of elections. Well, in a way, we were kind of a small group of internet strangers in a internet back room, I guess, uh, or at least online somewhere, um, making decisions that if adopted into our constitution would impact every single election from there on out. And it just kind of felt like we've got to take a second and try and think about how can this be done differently? And so what we wanted to do was we wanted to go across the entire state and invite people to give their input on what would be in this constitutional amendment. We weren't there to do whatever I thought was the best solution or whatever anybody else in the policy committee did. We really were there because we wanted to be creating a citizen ballot initiative, a, an initiative that was crafted by the people of Michigan because this is the solution we want for Michigan. So we went to each congressional district at least twice. We Went to, um, we started in some of the most rural places in Michigan because of our volunteers who were joining. They consistently said that not only do they never see their elected politicians even when they're running for office, but they also feel like decisions are always made with the larger parts of the state uh, in mind first and that their voices don't even matter. So we wanted to start in those places. And what I started to see, you know, we called local radio stations, we called local newspapers just out of the blue, and we're like, we know we're a Facebook group or an organization, but we're writing constitutional language and we really want to make sure that your community's voices are heard. So we just need to get the word out about this meeting. And I think that was so different. It was so different that we weren't coming in and saying, hey, here's our solution and you have to do what we say. We were saying, we want to craft a solution together as citizens. These rooms and these meetings were standing room only. This is the middle of February. Michigan is a has a horrible winter. You know, there were some of the first ice storms, and yet you have 70 people in a city that's total population is maybe a thousand people. You have 70 on a Saturday talking about gerrymandering when nobody even knew what gerrymandering was, but they knew that their opinion was actually being asked. And that's also one of those moments when I just kind of was like, this is so important. Not only, only is gerrymandering important, but how we are doing this, taking the time to actually go and meet with people, taking the time to actually invite people into this process making it so that it's not something that we just know a little bit about, but it's actually something that we know how to use and utilize our strength as citizens to use this process. That was really what mattered. And, and the, I would say the last kind of moment too was when we were gathering signatures. I went to a lot of county fairs and whether they were in a deep blue or a deep red county, we would have lines of people wanting to hear about what was this solution that was going to add more accountability into the government, that was going to make our politicians actually work for us. What was this thing going on? Why were there all these people volunteering and on their uh, weekends and holidays to, to talk about civics 
think a lot of people are kind of like, I don't know why you're doing that, but I'd love to hear more. Um, and just seeing how quickly we were able to gather the signatures, what urgency people felt and how excited they were to, I don't think everybody thought, I think a lot of people are still kind of skeptical. They're like, I have no idea that this will actually pass. And, and it's hard for me to believe that government can get better. But the fact that you're here trying makes me excited and and it, it makes me feel like maybe it is possible. And seeing that was really just another one of those moments. So I think taking the time to be in touch with people, taking the time, especially if you're doing a law that's going to impact everybody in the state, to reach out to people and, and provide the opportunity to them. I, I would just highly suggest it for any group that's starting. And I know sometimes there's a lot of pressure, especially from like different funders or people wanting to just know what your policy is going to stand for before they can sign on to it, which makes sense. But if you just come up with all of that and, and you assume that you've gotten all the experts and, and that, you know, of course, this language is going to be written perfectly. I just think that expertise doesn't necessarily need a degree with it. Expertise can also be living with the current problem or living with the status quo. Expertise can be living in that state and being a voter who's going to vote on this initiative too. And, and that really helped build not only community, but a, but a true movement that has continued to champion now that even the law has been passed, being able to have our first citizen uh, redistricting commission. Well, Katie, what you did to unite left and right to put an end to partisan gerrymandering in Michigan, I think is not only an example for political reformers, but I think is an example for everyone in the country who seeks to be civically engaged. And it's just extraordinary. I'm honored to call you a friend. Congratulations on the film. Again, it's called Slay the Dragon. Katie, if people want to tune in, learn more or watch it, how can they find it? Yeah. So uh, if they go to participant.com slash slay the dragon, and I know that it's on uh, Amazon and uh, Apple TV, it's on YouTube, it's in a bunch of different places. So you should be able to find it. Well, I encourage everyone to watch the film. Katie, thank you so much again for coming on the show. My best to you and your family and, and hope you stay safe. Yes, thank you. You too. Thanks. You've been listening to Meeting in Middle America with Stephen Olicara, sponsored by UW-Milwaukee, Waggett, and Bridget Build. This has been a WISPolitics.com, WISPBusiness.com podcast production.